0: So let's turn to Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Uh, Hands up today if you need a Bible. We're not going to have the words up on the screen. That was a little fault by us. And so if you need to follow along today, get yourself a Bible. They're free. Uh, The people will be coming down to pass them out. All right? If you have a cell phone, that works too, usually. All right? So anyone? Don't be shy. See, you always got to say, don't be shy. Then somehow people are like, oh, I thought I was supposed to be shy. Excellent. Turn to Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 26. <clears throat> okay, as you're going, let's do a little recap. Um, we are kind of in week two of what we've said is a mini, almost three-week series uh, that Paul gives us in, uh, kind of towards the end of chapter eight of the book of Romans. Um, in this chapter, he's really outlining and headlining the work of the Holy Spirit uh, in covering our past, uh, leading us in our present, and securing our future. Now, in this mini kind of three-week Heart. We started last week by showing that there is a reality to present suffering in our lives. Right? that, There's no one in here, hear, hear me, there's no one in here who hasn't at least experienced it before, is experiencing it now, or if you're saying that's not me, guess what, this too shall end and you will be experiencing some pain, some trial, some suffering in your life. It's just inevitable in a broken world. Now, in the midst of this present suffering, Paul comes in, and in this context from last week, this week, and next week, is showing us that in the midst of it, God is not just stagnant. Hear me, God God is extremely involved in your suffering, extremely involved in your trial. He is not distant, but he's close. And so we saw last week that in the midst of present suffering, one of the benefits is that we get to look to a greater future glory. Right, that, that no matter how bad it gets, we know that we're headed a direction, we're headed to a time, a place, where the future glory will reign of God, where no tear will be shed, where we be set free from sin, no pain, no hardship, no suffering, no trial. Okay. Today, we turn, turn our eyes to the present and what does God do in the present? Amidst, amidst the pain today, what does he do? Because there's some of us, and I get it, last week, right, you're sitting in here, and you're like, okay, you don't know my pain, though. Like, you don't know how deep it is, so the whole future thing, yeah, that sounds great. I'm excited for what happens 30, 40, 50, 60 years from now, but to be honest, it still hurts today, Right? That that if 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 I'm totally honest, listen, I believe in the future thing. Future glory sounds great. I'm all about heaven. That sounds amazing. But it doesn't change too much for me right now. The pain is still at my front door. It's still clinging to my heart. I don't know where to turn. And so what will God do in the midst of the present? And I think this argument is an argument that many would have made who have read this letter from Paul. Let's just go context. The Roman church at this time, this letter was written, and it's, you know, 54 to 57. There's some other dates kind of mixed up, but somewhere in that reign. But um, this is all during the reign of Nero. Now, um, how many people have heard of Nero? Okay. Um, this guy is he's given the title of the first state-sanctioned persecutor of the church. Right? That, that from his high level of emperor, he was just beaten down Christians. Some years later, he would burn down the temple in Jerusalem. And this guy hated Christianity. And so hear me, as, as these Christians would sit and hear this letter from Paul, I guarantee you the same things that might stir in you now, stir in them then. Great, man, the future sounds amazing, and I'm excited for what Christ will do, and that does give me some hope, but man, the persecution is still here. So what's God going to do? Right? What is God going to do in, in the midst of that story. So major themes today, weakness and dependency, okay? Weakness and dependency, and, and if we're honest with ourselves, um, we're not very good at this, right? We, we don't handle weakness, we don't handle dependency very well. We'll look through it through the lens of what I call paradigms and postures, paradigms and postures, the paradigms, firstly, again, culturally right now, the paradigm of our day, the set rules for our day is that weakness and dependency are not only not good, but they're shameful, Right, that, that if you're not good at something, you should be shamed. You should feel guilty. Right? If if you can't if you can't do something yourself, you're weak. Right? We are a culture that is completely filled up by I've got this. I don't need any help. We've all experienced that whether or not you're you're a student, you're in your occupation, you were growing up. Over and over and over, we are constantly told, figure it out yourself. Don't lean on other people, because if you lean on other people, if you go to some other source, then it's not you. There's no pride in that. There's no pride in receiving help. And so constantly, the paradigm of our day uh, is is really shaped by four words. Really shaped by four words, and they're words that were coined by a guy named Charles Darwin. And it's survival of the fittest. Okay? This This is why the air we breathe is so so against you looking outward for help or believing that weakness could ever be good. Because in this world, in our culture, it's all about survival of the fittest. That if you're not good enough, you're to be cast aside. Stop slowing us down. Stop hindering me. It's very self-focused and it's very about our succeeding at the expense usually of other people not succeeding. And so this has become the paradigm, the structure with which we understand life now. Survival of the fittest. Take care of yourself. Don't worry about other people, and surely don't ask for help, because that's just going to make you seem weak. Now, weakness and dependency, not good for us, so then in the midst of it, there's two postures with which we approach whatever worldview or paradigm you want to sign up for. Because we're going to see in just a moment that there are multiple paradigms. There's the paradigm of the world and survival of the fittest. There's another one that the Bible gives us which shows us that weakness and dependency are not only helpful, but are very good things for the soul. Okay? And so in the midst of this, we can approach either paradigm with a couple of different postures, and this is true about everything, and it's pride and it's humility. What of those two postures do you approach the culture with, the paradigm with? Is it from a sense of pride? Because let's be honest, that's most of us. There's few I know that have ever cracked the code of what it means to be completely humble. We tend to usually kind of walk around center of the world thinking we're far better than we actually are. Mostly that's derived from the fact that we don't actually judge ourselves based on any other standard other than how's the person next to me doing. So if the person I came to church with today, if they're sitting more than I am, I guess I'm in pretty good shape. I don't do this, you know what I mean? So it becomes kind of this, this blanket and then we are puffed up with pride. When we approach these current paradigms from a sense of pride, listen, it does not matter whether or not we realize that weakness and dependency are good, if you come at weakness and dependency from a sense of pride, it's going to fall apart anyway. It's all about coming this morning, and I loved what Anthony shared even as we got going today, with a humble heart. With a humble heart. This means that when you show up here in the morning, you expect the Holy Spirit to teach you. You don't presume to think you've got it all figured out. I prepped this, I, listen, Anthony, myself, the other teachers, we, we prep this for like two weeks in a row, and even today, I'm telling you, it's insufficient. I don't know everything being communicated. I, and if we come into what God wants to do in our lives with a sense of pride, we will learn nothing. When we approach Him with a sense of humility, God, I need you, we can actually be moved along and closer to God. Humility and pride; these postures are going to drive everything. Let me tell you a story. How many people in here ski or snowboard? Okay, not enough. Um, so the first time I learned to snowboard, okay, I was 12 years old, and uh, I had already skied for about five years up to that point. Okay, so at about seven is when I first learned to ski. At 12. Um, my, I learned how to snowboard. And that was, listen, that was like God's grace and mercy. Right? I mean, just like, they're not going to ski anymore. Um, that I shouldn't have said that. There's a lot of skiers in there, isn't there? How many people ski? How many people snowboard? Okay, yeah, you guys lose. Okay. So age 12 comes around, I'm learning to snowboard, and I don't know about you guys, but at at that time especially, snowboarding was was just kind of growing and popular very rapidly, right? So all of kind of, the cool thing to do was to not ski, at least I'm from Southern California, and so when you go to Bear Mountain in Southern California, you're not skiing, okay? If you want to be cool, you're going to snowboard. And so my family, we were on a trip actually to Telluride, Colorado. I had skied for five years up to that point, and I said, you know what, man, if I want to be cool, I got to start snowboarding. And so my parents said, okay, if you want to try this, let's get you a lesson. And I said, I don't need a lesson. <laughs> Worst day of my life, okay? So, so I, I get my snowboard, I, I go up, and I kid you not, true story, my first lift up, I get on the lift, don't fall, like that's God's grace for real, right? Get on the lift, going up, I'm sitting next to this gal, her name was Maggie, okay? Not sure why I remember that, babe, love you. Um... <laughs> And so sitting next, sitting next to the snow bunny, and just we're just we're taking the chair up, right? And uh, it's just the terminology, friends. Okay, so we're taking the lift up, and she says, "So, do you? I mean, like, are you really good?" And I said, "Well, I wouldn't say I'm really good." But I've been a few times, right? And so her expectation from our our ride up was, this dude's going to crush it. And I'm thinking, she's going to think I crush it because this is going to be easy. I don't need anyone to tell me how to do this. I'm going to be able to go ahead and snowboard no problem. Here's what happens. When you get to the top of the lift, most of us get off, okay? Rather, there goes Maggie. I freak out and stay on the chair and whip around and I'm facing all the people that are looking up at me like, you're an idiot, right? And so, and, and, and so in this moment, every bit of pride in me is completely squelched. I got back down to the mountain after the worst day ever. I mean, falling over and over and over and over again. I get down to the mountain, and I'm bruised, and I'm, I'm literally like cuts and everything. My parents say to me, you want to take a lesson? I said, yes, <laughs> let's take a lesson. The next day I took a lesson, and now I'm the greatest snowboarder ever, okay? <laughs> it was a very simple offer. Do you want someone who knows what they're talking about to actually instruct you on how to do this better? Very simple, right? It's not like they're asking that much of me. They're offering me a gift, Hey, you don't know how to do this. I do. Let me help you and I refuse. So this morning, even in the midst of our pain, our trial, our suffering, some of these words might seem like, okay, God, really though? Are you really doing that? Is it, is this really the way this works in my life? And I just want us to come with a posture of humility this morning that says, I don't know that much how to handle this. I'm weak. God, you know everything. You're strong. Let me take a lesson. Let, Let me learn from you today. Let me actually apply the truth of Scripture, apply the truth of who God is on my life. And then we'll see what happens. All right, so here we go. Verse 26 Let's get going. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, we always, we always look at words like likewise uh, and, and therefore. We say therefore is there for a reason. Likewise is like. It's wise to look back. And so we look back to whatever was said beforehand to see what is he actually talking about? Is there agreement? And so just last week, we landed on the work of the spirits, right? The work of the Spirit in claiming for us a future glory giving us a semblance, a piece of the work of God in loving you enough to care for you in the midst of your suffering, right? And so likewise, in other words, here's more that God is doing. It's not just that he says, okay, here's this future deal. You're going to love this, and then just stepped out. Christ did not come. He did not live, he did not die, he did not raise to save you, to save for you this perfect future and then check out never to be involved again. Rather, he sets this future place for you. He sets all of that in motion and then takes a greater step in via the Holy Spirit. Okay? Christ goes, but the Spirit comes and takes a step closer to man. He does not step back, but rather steps forward into the life of man via the work of the Holy Spirit. And so likewise, Paul says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Okay. Um, so much of us, again, even now, even amidst the way we enter this whole thing, would still argue and say, I, know, I don't want to go to God because I don't want Him to be a crutch. Right. And, I, and I hear this a lot from the non-Christian world. Uh, and so listen, some of you might be here and you're just visiting and, and you don't believe any of this yet. Um, but I hear this very often. I hear this very often. I Man, Christians just believe in God because he's a crutch for them. Right? that they can't handle reality they can't handle pain they can't handle this world and so they have to lean on this usually the word sky fairy or something like that they have to lean on this imaginary being so that they can actually live in this world and I, might have sh- I think I did share this with you guys maybe six months ago or something like that but I told a guy once sitting in a coffee shop who had that very same claim for me and said man you just God's just a crutch for you I don't need that I said you have no idea I said, he's far more than a crutch. I said, God truly is a wheelchair for me. I said, man, it's not just I'm able to limp around and lean on this, I'm not just able to lean on him and continue on. Man, I need him to push the stinking thing because I'm that stubborn and I'm that prideful. And so the Holy Spirit comes in and says, no, put everything on me. Don't just give me a few things. Don't just give me the things that you just can't handle, right? Don't try and do, I'm going to do 99% of it, but that 1%, okay, then I'll go to God. The Spirit helps in our weakness, listen, and we are filled with it, right? I mean, if if we're honest with ourselves, that even the things that we think we're great at, we're not that great, right? We're, We're just, listen, there's always someone better, and there's always someone better than him or her. And there's always someone better than him or her. Like, there's no pinnacle to your greatness. The only pinnacle we find is God himself, and you are not him. Just by our reality, by the brokenness of this world, we are all far more weak than we ever, ever dare acknowledge. Okay? Okay? And so the news, the good news that this Holy Spirit, the one that God sent to step closer to humanity, would actually intercede and help on our behalf is very good news for us this morning. Okay. Let's keep going. Second half, verse 26. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Okay, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. So, okay, many of us would still kind of hear all of this, and we're still trying to find, okay, well, what does this even look like? Because I've asked God. You're saying that I'm not dependent. I'll tell you what, in my trial, I've asked God a bunch of times, God, would you come in and would you save me? God, would you come in and fix this because I can't handle the brokenness and the pain and the hurt anymore. But admit, listen, a lot of you, even today, this morning, you woke up and in the midst of the suffering and trial you're in today, prayed, God, deliver me, and you thought, man, I've been praying this prayer for months now and there's been no change. So where's, where's God in that? Did God just drop the ball then? Did God take a day off? As, did he take every day you've ever prayed that prayer off and then that way he never has to actually take care of you? I don't think so. I don't think so. Because the truth is, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. I feel... Like we have an ignorance when it comes to prayer. When, an ignorance when it comes to just general communication with God. This doesn't mean anything malicious. It means we don't know what Scripture... For you do not know how to pray. And I feel that this ignorance is in three different ways. It's an ignorance of heart, an ignorance of body, and an ignorance of expectation. An okay. ignorance of heart, we're going to talk more in a moment, but essentially... We pray with us in the center. Not God. Okay? So our hearts are inclined to all of our prayers be, okay, what, in what way does this make the best outcome for me happen? Not, okay, God, what's your will? Right? Not God, God, what do you have? What's your will? What are you saying? What would you have me do? What would you have me believe? What would you have me say? On and, on. and so we're going to come back to that in just a second. The second one, ignorance of body. Now, um, many of you guys have probably heard this stat that most of non-verbal commu- or most of communication is nonverbal. Right? That what people hear, so if I'm talking with Anthony and we're sitting down and he's saying stuff to me, that a lot of what he, the, uh, a lot of what he does with his body, his gesturing, his movement, his posture, his tone, his pitch, on and on, all of that stuff, has nothing to do with words, communicates far more than anything else. A UCLA study even said that 93% of what the receiver hears in a communication, or in, 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 a, uh, in a dialogue, okay, is completely conveyed by nonverbal cues. 93%. That means 7% of the words that come from someone's mouth are actually going to uh, hit their target. They're actually going to reach there, but the vehicle is often more important. Now, we've often heard that, but here's the truth: we apply that right now, and then it's like, okay, well, if do I need to pray in a certain way so that God gets the message? Not what I'm trying to say, right? I'm not saying, okay, if you do, you know, if you do more of these, God's going to hear you more, right? Or if if you do, you know, you're on your knees as opposed to standing up that God will hear you more. Or if, you are, uh, if your eyes are closed and your head is bowed, as opposed to walking around your room just talking with God will not hear you. He, just, he knows your heart. He doesn't need any of those things. But here's the truth about our posture, about our tone, about our pitch. Multiple, multiple studies continue to come out that show us now That the way that we sit, the way that we do with our gesturing and our hands and our posture, what we do with our tone and our pitch and our eyes and our movement, all of that rather influences the speaker far more than we've ever known before. That if I stand up here and I talk to you like this, not only does that communicate disinterest to many of you, But when I'm sitting down at a table with you, it also causes me cognitively to shut down. That I will share less, I will be less open, I will hide things in greater detail and length because of the way I carry myself. When you sit slouched, you tend to speak with greater apathy than you do than when you're leading forward and engaged in a conversation. It's not just about the receiver, it's about the sender of the message. And so I don't want to spend too much time on this, but if one of the things that I think we're ignorant about is just the way and the how of how we pray. It's usually, I got, I'm getting ready to go to bed. I've got about 42 seconds before I fall asleep, and maybe I'll get in an Amen before I'm out. Right? We're laying down and listen, let, let me be very, very clear. If that's how you pray, pray that way. Right? If that's how you pray, pray that way. That's absolutely fine. But for me, this is just hyper practical. For me, I gotta I gotta get out of bed, right? I mean, I, I do the knee thing a lot. I'm getting hands open. I'm doing Anything with my body and my tongue, my bitch, that's gonna allow myself to open up more to God. Because when I'm closed off, I'm closed off to Him. It's the same truth in any form of communication. The way we communicate with one another, that's meant to be the same way we talk to God. It's not this crazy mystery where you have to go through certain channels or say it in certain ways. Just talk to God and apply normal communication principles. And just engage in that way and see what God does with your heart. And this last one is an ignorance of expectation. An ignorance of, of expectation. Listen, we, we often expect in our prayers that they'll be, one, they'll be answered right away, right? And so, okay, I, God, relieve me from this. If it's still here tomorrow, where are you at? Right? God, did you, did you not hear me? Do I say it again? And so we expect that it's going to happen immediately. God will answer it right away. Two, we expect that it's easy, right? We expect that it's easy to kind of pray and cultivate a prayerful life and culture, and I'm going to be honest, it's, it's really not. I got saved at 18, and I would not pray in front. Listen, if you know me, you can't get me to stop talking in a group setting, but in a group setting, I would not pray. I wouldn't do it. It's terrifying. And I felt a lot of shame and guilt in that because the expectations that I looked around the room is everyone's really good at this. Everyone's going to just pray and talk to God and it's no big deal. We have an ignorance of expectation. We think that it's just simple and it's easy and we'll go to it and there'll be no problem. There's no real seeking. But in what other relationship in your life is this ever true? So when Verity and I, or before we started dating, right, when when I first caught the glance uh, and and I I saw Verity at a distance and, you know, like, Dreamweaver was playing in the background, there was sparkles, and, you know, that type of stuff, and then, like, a, a line, you know. Um, and so I, I, I go over there to talk to Verity, and I, th- I think our first dialogue was, hi, oh, you're Verity, cool. And then I walked away. <laughs> I mean, like, that was, that was the first moment, and, and it was amazing, because I, I had known her before, but in this immediate interaction, it was, like, the most awkward thing. Now, it might not have come off that way, because I'm really suave, but... Uh, in my heart, I was freaking out, man. And then, if you if, honestly, if you sat down with it, you know, like when we do pre medal, we'll talk sometimes about kind of what it was like when we first started, kind of uh, you know talking to each other and, and seeing, you know, is, is, is do I want you know want to date her? Does she want to date me? The whole thing, man. It was it was tough. Sometimes, sometimes a little, little, little easier to click. It wasn't happening. Right? I mean, like, it was just, Verity was just closed off, wouldn't show up to my soccer game, and it was just, like, a lot of issues. I'm still harboring, obviously. Um, No, but it was, it was, it's tougher to communicate when you first engage in a relationship with someone than it is four years later. Right? So now, Verity and I, we'll walk out of here, and we don't even need to say anything, and somehow we're still communicating with one another. It's just obvious. You live in that. You get to know each other. It becomes easy. It becomes simple. It becomes normal. You need to cultivate your life of prayer. You need to spend time talking to God over and over and over in the midst of the awkward moments where you think he's not listening or you think you're not getting your message across or you think it's not happening within your set of expectations. Push forward into prayer. Henry Allen calls this the only necessary thing in our whole lives. The only necessary thing is prayer. And yet, when I look at our churches, when I look at the capital C, the big C church, there might not be a discipline that we struggle with more. I mean, mean, I'm just being honest. Like The more I talk to other pastors, not just in our city, around our state, around our nation, there's probably not a discipline that we struggle with more than prayer. Because we come from a sense of pride. We come from a sense where weakness is not okay and either is dependency. We have to move on past that, come with humility, and then actively cultivate our conversation and prayers to God. And we're going to come to the heart piece in just a moment, but... That's, that's, that's really important for us, okay? So, okay, so the second part, or sorry, end of verse, uh, excuse me, uh, sec, the second half of 26. So, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Okay, so hopefully, at least we're all in a place right now where we've maybe accepted, maybe to a degree, our weakness, our dependency on God, our lack of understanding and ignorance within prayer. So hopefully that's where we're at. It's a culture we're trying to create in this moment. And so in the midst of this, the second half of verse 26 is very good news. I mean, it's it's incredibly good news. Because if the truth is, is if we always approach this thing from a prideful heart, we've got a wrong mindset about the paradigm that we're living in and we don't even know how to pray, boy, we need some help. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. Right? He comes in. He intercedes. Like, so inter, steps in. Peyton Manning, interceptions. Like, seven of them. The Super Bowl, right? Intercedes for us steps in. So, like many of the conversations that many of you have where you wish you could take something back, right? Like you're talking to someone and then all of a sudden you just have the biggest foot and mouth situation. And it's funny, I was thinking of some this week and I was like, I can't share any of these because they're all just awful, okay? So there are just numerous moments, right? We're just like, you go to grab the word back and it's already there. The Holy Spirit sees your words, comes in, and communicates God's will. Hear me. We say whatever we come to, comes to our mind, right? And it could be self-centered, self-focused, all about us, and yet in the midst of it, God is good enough that then the Holy Spirit, God himself, comes in there, intercepts it, intercedes, and then speaks to God for us. Because we do not know how to pray as we ought, so the Holy Spirit does it for us. This is very good news. This is very good news for the Christian. That we're not constantly just, man, okay, this is my desire, God. It has to be this. And then God would answer that desire. If he answered your every desire, your life would probably be in shambles. And that's, that's an assumption. But if he answered everything, I'll speak to me. If he answered everything that I've ever asked him for, i telling you what, man, a lot of things would be different about my life. I wouldn't be here, I wouldn't be married to Verity. I mean, there are numerous things that would not be true of me today if God just said, yeah, okay, that's what you want. So instead, he says, okay, you think you want this. I'll know something you'll want more. You think you want this. You think you know how to pray. You think you know your desires. God knows them better than you do. He sees a bigger picture. He sees deeper in your heart than you ever could. He sees deeper in your mind than you ever could. And so the Spirit intercedes, comes in, and changes things. Okay. Um, I just want to, just kind of an aside here, when it talks about groans, uh, and it says here, so it intercedes with groans that cannot be understood. Um, oftentimes, and if you've been in church for a while, some people will say that this is the gift of tongues. Okay? And so the Holy Spirit speaks in tongues to God. Now, if you haven't heard of that, just check out right now, not important. But if you've heard that, I just want to say, that's not what's being communicated here. Okay, that's that's not what's being communicated. It's not tongues. Tongues is not the language that's being communicated that's going to get to God. So it's not, man, okay, all of my prayers are messed up, the Spirit has to come in and intercede, but if I speak in tongues, then I'm okay, I get a clear shot to Him. It's not what's being communicated here. Because the truth is, and it's very obvious within Scripture, that some people get the gift of tongues and some people do not. This is talking about a blanket statement over everyone that this is the way we speak to God. The Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf and that is very good news for us. Verse 27. Let's talk about why it's so good. Why it's so good. Verse 27. And he who searches hearts, that's God, knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We need to just spend a moment as we wrap up here on the will of God. Okay. We have to take a moment amidst all this talk about prayer and paradise, listen, and just talk about the will of God. Every relationship that you have ever had in your life, whether or not it's um, a parent, right? It's it's a brother, it's a sister, it's a best friend, it's a cousin, it's someone, it's a classmate, on and on. You and I give value to what they say is true, right? And, and to varying degrees. And so, my parents, right? I give them higher value in what they say is true than I do my brother. I love my brother. My parents have just been around longer, and they know more about me and more about my life, especially when I was younger, especially when I was a kid, right? My wife knows far more about me than anyone in this world. In fact, yesterday we were driving in the car, and what seems to always come up in our conversations is very saying, if people only knew the real you, right?" <laughs> which is like never good, okay? Um, just so you know, the real me is is very sweet, and uh, but is extremely goofy and sings a lot, okay? And so, Verity knows me better than anyone else in this world, and so I will give greater value to what she believes is best for me than Anthony. And Anthony's a good friend, but he doesn't know me like Verity knows me. So we have to take a step back and ask ourselves, do we actually believe, do, listen, do you actually believe that God knows more about you than you know about yourself, Do you actually believe that God is who he says he is? That he is sovereign, right? That he is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's omniscient. He can do it all. Do you believe that about God? If you do, that is going to greatly influence how much you allow his will to be placed on your life. It starts there. What do you believe to be true about God? It always comes back to Him. What do you believe to be true about Him? Listen, if if you're sitting in the boat, maybe you're a non-Christian here, you're like, I don't even believe there is a God. Okay, well, guess what? His will is not going to play too much in your life then, will it? Right? Like like the students that Danielle already shared about. They think they're great stories, but they don't believe that there's an actual living God behind them. And so those stories are not going to have application to life. Listen, hear me, Christian, if you're here today, if you believe this to be true about God the will of God is the best possible news you could ever receive that the God of the universe who knows everything who sees the picture all the time would orient and set your life on a trajectory based on his will and not your own. We fight this to the teeth, man. God, I know better than you. God, I, I know you think that this is going to be better for me, but I know better than you do. That, that's the normal posture. That's the prideful posture. The humble posture as we approach, approach a good and perfect and omnipotent God is, Lord, let your will be done. As hard as it is, as frustrating as it is sometimes, it is the best possible news for you and for me. Okay. God directing our steps and our paths in His ways. Um, I shared with you guys last week about uh, Verdi and I's kind of hard year last year. and, we, and we, you know, I told you guys we had had a miscarriage last summer and just kind of talked through the difficulty and the suffering and the pain that came along with that. And, and the more we, you know, it kind of got me thinking about it again because, you know, I, I kind of tried to, to give it one of these. You know, I had God deal with my heart for a while, then gave it to Heisman. You know, I was like, oh, that's enough, that's enough of that. And then last week, you know, some of this really got revisited. And, and you know, so V and I were talking about it this week, and and here's the truth: I still have questions. I mean, I, I still don't know why it happened. Like, it, it's not as clear cut. I, I don't know why it's better that amidst all of our friends that have kids, Verity and I don't have one right now. I, I don't, I do not get that. But I believe that God is who he says he is. I believe that he is good. And I believe that he's powerful. And it's because I believe those things to be so true that even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of questioning, I can get up in the morning and say, I love Jesus. And I can talk to God. I can pray to God. I can speak to Him in full assurance of faith that He knows what is best for me. He is a good Father. There is not a Father that I know. And listen, there are bad fathers in the world, surely. But the fathers that I know would do anything for their children, including including something that might hurt temporarily that will save them in the long run. It might hurt for the moment. The kid that's getting it around the street, you yank that kid back. You don't just say, hey, maybe don't do that you grab that kid and you yank him out as the oncoming car is coming. Because the dad sees something the kid cannot see. Our God is a good father. Approach, speak, pray to him as such. And in the midst of it, not always, but sometimes God will give you great gifts. And so we don't know why we lost our last baby, but... We are very excited for the one that we're about to have. So V and I are, I don't know, like 14 weeks pregnant. And yeah, all yeah, right, and, uh, and everything's looking great. And we're hopeful, right? We're very, very hopeful that the next 26 will go as well as the first 14. But if they don't, it changes nothing about God. It changes absolutely nothing about God. He is good. He is faithful. And so as we approach Him in prayer, even as we stumble over ourselves the goodness of God, the Holy Spirit will come and say, I've got something better. And so we'll wrap this and land this here. Isaiah 53.10 says this about Jesus. It was the will of the Lord to crush Him. The will of the Lord to crush Jesus. He has put Him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. The will of God is always good. Always good. Even when it looks like the worst possible outcome. It's always good. He's always faithful. Let's keep hitting that for us because that is at the heart of every bit of our suffering and trial. What do we believe about God? When we believe that He is good and He is faithful and He's true, I tell you what, man, that future glory looks even better because we know we're going to spend eternity with Him. When we believe that He's good and powerful, the present interaction of the Holy Spirit our life looks really good because we know that it's a good God that is communicating for us, interceding on our behalf, in ways that we never thought to even ask for. What do we believe about God? This is what I want you guys to do this week. Um, I want you guys to just embrace, uh, acknowledge and embrace your weakness. I mean, just like, write down a list. I did this this week. It was longer than I wanted it to be. Okay? Just write down the stuff that's just obvious to you. Then, and I haven't done this yet, ask the person that's closest in your life to tell you what, her, what she or he thinks your greatest weaknesses are. And it's tough. I'm not excited to have that talk with Verity. Slam me. But then we take those to God. We take those to God. We feel no guilt. We feel no shame because by the blood of the cross, by Christ's life, death, resurrection, we are saved. We are set free. We are cleansed. We are brought in. We are adopted. On and on and on. Listen, we are saved by God and so there is no weakness that shall ever overtake us. And so, listen, write down your list, talk to the person next to you, and then just pray to God about those things. Okay? Be dependent on a good and faithful God. And let's just see what He does with our lives and our hearts and the way He directs our paths. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank You for... uh, Thank You for grace that we cannot see. God, it's, it's, it's a lot easier for me, I think for all of us, to boast and celebrate the graces that are very obvious. God, the graces and the gifts that we experience in life, that we know are passed down from above, and, and we just say, God, thank you for this, and thank you, God, I thank you this morning for graces that we don't even know we've experienced. God, that you've withheld things from us because you loved us that much. God, that you've moved us directions and even when we thought it was our doing, we thank you that it was most likely yours. Lord, we humble ourselves this morning. And I don't know what that means. I don't know how to humble. I just pray, Lord, that you would grant greater humility to myself and to our church. God, that we would approach you expecting you to teach, not to just to give us everything we want, but to make us more like Christ. That's my plea this morning, that as we now sing and respond to the truth that Christ saved us. God, gave us the Holy Spirit to intercede on our behalf and paved for us a future glory that we long await. I pray those truths about what that teaches us about your character and your love for us dwell so deep, fall so deep in our hearts as a solid, firm foundation that whatever trial, whatever suffering, whatever storm may come our way, Lord, that you would allow us to stand strong and never lose sight of your greatness, goodness, faithfulness, and love. Lord, bless us as we celebrate you now. In your name we pray. Amen.